positive and happy Bivisibility Week. <laughs> These are your hosts, Mari and Andy. And since it's Bivisibility Week or was it month? I don't know. I, I keep getting confused. They were confused. Day, <laughs> the week, the month. Let's say the month. Let's say the whole existence of humanity should celebrate bisexuality more. Since it's that day or that week or that month, whichever one you're celebrating, we decided to dedicate an episode to history. Uh, the history of how bisexuality was perceived. Because I, I feel like saying history of bisexuality means that you know it developed some way. It was always there. So the perceptions. And also ma- mention some historical figures that you know you may be surprised that they may have been by. Obviously, it's history. Records can be erased, lost, whatever. But these are the people that... You know, certain researchers have found to have played both sides, or more than both sides, so... Yeah, I mean, we know that the idea, the concept we have of bisexuality today is a lot of a construct. We already talked about all of this, but the fact that people would have been attracted to more than one gender is nothing new. How revolutionary. Yeah, I know. (laughs) We're doing a groundbreaking episode today. (laughs) So let's start with ancient Greece. I gotta love the Greeks. (laughs) Basically, ancient Greece didn't have the homosexual-heterosexual divide. In broader terms, if you could stick your penis into anything, it was okay. Uh, Younger men were encouraged to be in relationships with older men, uh, which would kind of show them the ropes and be their mentors until they got married. And after that, that relationship was supposed to be dissolved or turn into friendship. But, you know, that was a thing that was encouraged culturally. Mm. It was a thing we see all sorts of uh, Greek and Roman amphoras and wall art and everything <laughs> depicting just how straight the Greeks were. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's also a completely different uh, culture of where course. you think that marriage was mainly about having kids mm. and it was, it was not about love. This, I mean, the idea of that marriage is about love is very, very recent anyways. Yeah. Um, so it was okay to have that life also outside of it yeah. and but as you and, and as in this example and others we have about more ancient history we know mostly about men yeah so I mean for what I we know and I know about ancient Greece women were exactly well considered it's also that historian looked at all of that through I mean, the male, male perspective yeah. yeah so we don't know actually much about women except for Sappho yeah of course who, according to some, would was bisexual because there was some sonnets poetry, yeah. poetry that was also addressed to a male. So, but I mean, as history was written by men, thanks for that, by the way. We <laughs> are going to, you know, obviously you can't talk about ancient Greece and not talk about Alexander the Great, who was married <laughs> but had male lovers. Hadrian uh, also had male lovers, and he actually built a city for his boyfriend who killed himself. Don't know what happened there, but yeah, he, he dedicated Antipolis yeah. to his dead boyfriend, Yeah, which is romantic, I guess. Should we talk about how bad the movie was? Or but which, which Alexander movie? Alexander. Let's not. No, okay, yeah. <laughs> and of course, uh, Zeus and Ganymede, uh, who was a young, this youthful lover of Zeus's, as you know, you will see as we go on talking about this topic, is that there's a lot of young youths involved in the historic perception of bisexuality. But also what MD mentioned before is that, you know, 
you could be in a you could be bisexual uh, as long as you married later in life as as a man, and you had to be a freeborn man. So slaves didn't exactly enjoy that kind of sexual freedom. No, and it was considered something shameful also to be the bottom in a. I mean, especially for gay, older men. Gay intercourse. Yeah, it was acceptable as younger. Yeah, men, but for younger men, but not later on. It's that same gear that you know younger men, adolescents, to be honest, aren't completely men. So yeah. it's kind of okay. But it's, I mean, it, there's a lot to say about that and also how this whole culture of um, having this kind of way to facade for younger men mm-hmm. and at an age that today would question a lot of things about consent, would, would venture into a relationship with, with older men. It, it's not just ancient Greece. Yeah. And, and it's also one of, one of the reasons why at one point in, in more recent history, um, people were just uh, confusing homosexuality and, and pedophilia. Yeah. Because, because of that, and, and I mean, it of course has nothing to do. It's just that we, when we talk about ancient Greece, and we can look at that with our modern eyes, but we have to understand it was a completely different uh, reality. Well, so you weren't living that old. <laughs> and to add to that, there's also ancient Japan, yeah. uh, which also followed a sim- similar um, kind of pattern of education called Shudo, where samurai training would be conducted by older men, that that would enter these kinds of relationships with younger men, which were supposed to result in friendship, and the sexual component would be over by the time the boy married. We don't know how well that went over. Um, also, <laughs> Buddhist monasteries also had similar kinds of, I guess, indoctrination in a way, uh, where older monks would be in sexual relationships with mm-hmm. uh, young initiates. And in ancient Japan, again, there was this there was this idea floating around that there are actually three genders which are men, women, and attractive young men. <laughs> so <laughs> twinks are a separate gender in ancient Japan. It's very difficult to talk that it's about bisexuality, because if it's a norm, is that bisexuality or not? Because yeah. you're just following, you know, it was maybe not uh, heteronormativity back then, but like binormativity. That sounds like such a good thing. <laughs> that would be, yeah, that would be great. But And also for them, as for like a later example, um, you don't really know because you have actually gay people who yeah. had to be married for, for the sake of appearance and for to follow social norms but were actually just attracted to the same gender yeah while you had people really into their spouse or actually another more than to gender so it's really difficult to uh, to know exactly what's what's going on but we just know that even then people were attracted even then that's normal. Going going forward, much more forward in history, because there is this during the Dark Ages there was a gap about um, sexual education. We've also seen that with, for example, you know the human fascination with with female anatomy. Mm-hmm. The ancient Greeks and ancient Romans they knew exactly what to do with the vagina and what a clitoris was. Mm-hmm. But once the Dark Ages struck and religion took over, these kinds of things began became hushed up, and so we had to make a hugely forward later. I mean, there are probably sources in other other culture and, and, and the Arabic world that, mm. that gave a lot of the knowledge and thanks to which we have the knowledge of the ancient Greece and Rome uh, and, and in, in Asia as well. But if you look at a more uh, Western-centered perspective, because, well... Because <laughs> we're in the West. I, I mean, what I, I read is that there was actually a lot more freedom, sexual freedom, than what we might think um, back then. But we don't have that much on it. And it's yeah. also, again, some stuff that the historians might not have wanted to study. Exactly. I mean, it's much easier to 
repress a bunch of people by saying them God will hate you if you do a certain thing and also syphilis is God's punishment to humanity for being promiscuous. So yeah. Anyway, bisexuality as a term in, in the way we use it today was coined by Charles Gilbert Chaddock in his translation of Kraft Ebbing's Psychopathia Sexualis in 1892. Sounds like a lovely book. Mm -hmm. The anti-sodomy law in England was also passed around that time. It was called the Buggery Act. Again, lovely mm -hmm. names. Very creative. And an interesting fact is that homosexuality or, or sodomy, in whatever you want to call it, was not legalized in the UK until 1967, which is quite recent. Mm -hmm. um, despite the fact that you know, bisexuality and, and homosexuality became more prominent with the advent of media, uh, written media and, of course, visual media like the movies. And so the first appearance of bisexuality in American film was in 1914 in a Florida enchantment, which is quite progressive for the time. And of course, during the 20s and 30s, there were all sorts of rumors about certain actresses, which we'll discuss, discuss a little later. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was present. It was, of course, glossed over. Uh, a lot of movies did not escape censorship. Mm -hmm. But it was happening. As a disorder, homosexuality, and with it, bisexuality was declassified as a disorder. Because bisexuality didn't actually have its own section. It doesn't exist. Yeah, but like if you did gay stuff, then you already yeah, no, classified uh, under homosexuality. Yeah, you were deviant anyways. Exactly. And so if you were found to be engaging in these kinds of acts, you could be treated with castration, medication, electric shock hypnosis, blah, blah, blah. That's what happened with um, Alan Turing. Mm -hmm. When his uh, homosexuality was discovered, he was medically castrated, uh, chemically castrated, sorry. And so uh, it wasn't until, I think, two years ago that the Queen of England actually apologized to him and issued like a pardon yeah. to him for that, which is a little crazy. But going back to... Um, Kind of the definitions of bisexuality and how they changed. Let's talk about Freud. <laughs> Favorite guy. Um, well, actually, you know, there's a lot to say about Freud. Like, there's harm, was harm done by some of his theories, but also others are pretty interesting. And I've learned, like, pretty recently that he had actually a very accurate theory of trauma uh, and the effect of sexual abuse in childhood. But he, to, uh, he went to the more, I mean, what we know now of, like, talking about not, not actual trauma, but what people fantasy about, like the fantasies of uh, like some trauma in, in childhood. But the, 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 the series, uh, theory uh, switched in time when he discovered that his um, own father had abused his sisters and because he couldn't recognize how much of a, what polite word can I use? Do I need to use a polite word? Polite word? No, you no. don't. Go ahead. No, that how fucked up his own father was, he couldn't recognize that. So he changed some of his theories, but this first theory on trauma was very, very accurate. Mm. And so one of you know uh, for theory is that there's an uh, innate bisexuality that because we because of the, the 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 fetus develops as what is said hermaphrodite, but as we know today is like there's no differentiation in the very beginning, uh, and then I mean all actually all fetuses develop as female and then just when the testosterone gets fixated by um, male XY or uh, fetuses, the, 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 uh, the, the male characteristics start to develop. Um, but based on, on that knowledge that there was this phase of non-differentiation, he said, he said he thought that, he, so Freud thought that all human beings were, had this innate bisexuality and this ability to be attracted to 
um, the two sexes because it was what they was talking about at the time. But then that he was supposed to to change and to you go you were supposed to go to a, a heterosexual attraction uh, when you had a normal development. But that's actually a pretty interesting theory that has been reused like by modern psychoanalysis in a way that is much more interesting. But I think it's a whole another other episode on that. And then, of course, the figure that you had to develop towards a certain heterosexual uh, type of attraction and all everything that went around the, the female orgasm in particular was were very like very um, very hurtful. You know, the idea that any anal pleasure was because you were basically stuck at the anal phase stage of development, which is when you learn how to be potty trained, uh, so we are not fully developed. Or that uh, then even clitoral pleasure was uh, that you were fixated at the later stage of development, but not still have reached the complete, fully developed sexual development of a human being, which is, as we all know, bullshit. So let's talk about something a little more positive. Let's mm-hmm. talk about my favorite guy, Kinsey. Uh, Kinsey was pretty awesome. I mean, for his time, he was incredibly progressive. Uh, he conducted thousands of interviews all across the United States, documenting people's experience with with sexuality. And what he discovered is that, surprise, surprise, the general population of the U.S. was not as straight as they claimed to be. (laughs) And uh, he did these interviews. He published the Kinsey Report. He published two, actually. He published one on the uh, sexuality of the human male and one on the sexuality of the human female. And he discovered that there was a high prevalence of bisexuality or bisexual experiences. Because the way we talk about the Kinsey scale now, and we've mentioned that before in previous episodes, is that there is a certain test that gives you a score, but actually all those tests were developed later. His scale was developed based on those interviews, and so he graded those experiences as opposed to like what people answered to his questions. The real qualitative work. Yeah, exactly. Real qualitative work. Tons of work went into it. It was very controversial, of course. Kinsey himself was controversial because he was bisexual. Um, He identified in the middle of the scale he developed as a three, and he had an open marriage, and he slept with numerous other people, including men. So, good for him. And then, uh, (laughs) but the Kinsey scale was, of course, it's it's a flawed creation, um, but it's kind of the best and most popular tool we have. Later in 1978, Fritz Klein tried to refine the scale with his Klein grid that had 21 parameters, but it never actually stuck because the scale, the Kinsey scale, was so much easier to use. And moving forward politically, because we, you know, eventually we'll have to talk about the fact that bisexuals are routinely excluded from Pride, but we'll move on from that. In the 1960s, during the first Pride movements, bisexuals were a huge part of those movements, but they were still marginalized. Uh, Brenda Howard, who was a bisexual woman, started the first Gay Pride March in 1969. And then in the 70s, there was a bisexual chic moment where it became fashionable to be bi because of figures like David Bowie and Elton John and the popularity of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, all these kinds of androgynous figures. Bisexuality suddenly became a trend. Gotta love that. Um, It didn't last long, though. It didn't last long, but with it also came this kind of begrudging but casual acceptance where... At least, you know, later in the 90s and early 2000s, bisexuality, you know, was mentioned in in movies and in TV shows to varying degrees of offensiveness. Yeah. I'm still thinking Sex and the City, that horrible bisexuality scene that well, yeah. I'll never and forget come that. back to basic instinct and, and to the whole Willow thing in Buffy. Of course. I mean, yeah. it's not perfect, 
But it did lead up to that moment where now we can have a podcast talking about these kinds of things and not be afraid of, you know, getting electrocuted or medicated for it. So, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, okay, yeah. (laughs) And so moving on, uh, let's also mention a couple of historical figures which were quite notorious Mm -hmm. in their bisexuality. Virginia Woolf. Yeah. Who was married. Mm-hmm. Um, she met a woman named Vita Sackwell West, mm-hmm. who was also married and who was openly bisexual, as was her husband. Yeah. Super progressive for the time. Mm-hmm. And their husbands both knew that the, these two women were seeing each other. Mm-hmm. And apparently, Wolf based her novel Orlando on the relationship she had with Vita, mm-hmm. which Vita's son, Nigel Nicholson, later called the longest and most charming love letter in literature, which yeah. is so cute. So, yeah, that's a nice, also polyamorous. Yeah. Example. Yeah. And then there was also Shakespeare, which some people, I mean, first of all, people are debating whether he exists. Yeah. Yeah. We don't even know if he existed, actually, like one person. Yeah. But there is this idea that in his poetry, particularly his sonnets, um, Shakespeare had two addressees. So he would dedicate his his sonnets, or the speaker of the sonnet would dedicate it to either the dark lady, which was this one poetic figure, Mm -hmm. and uh, the second one was the fair youth. And so yeah. if you look at Sonnet 53, for example, mm-hmm. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It is addressed to this fair youth, and the sec- in the second stanza, Shakespeare talks about, kind of transposes these two images of Adonis and Helen, mm-hmm. kind of um, emphasizing the andro- androgynous nature of this fair youth, of mm-hmm. this lover. Um, so who knows? If, if Shakespeare did exist, maybe he was by. And maybe if it was a bunch of people, maybe it was like a cool bike club that wrote poetry. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like that idea. <laughs> I love that idea. Like, like, you know that some people say it was actually the queen. The that, queen. No, the queen was actually the one writing. Elizabeth the first was the one actually writing. I mean, I would, I could see that. And 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 I can see her as bi too. So. Oh yeah. Totally. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Let me write history. So. Yeah. I mean, there is has Christian Anderson. Yeah. He apparently wrote passionate letters to both men and women, and he wasn't very successful um, <laughs> in his pursuits, which was a little sad. He tried to remain abstinent, but I mean, he um, he wrote stuff. There's also mm-hmm. Casanova, uh, yeah. which um, he was kind of characterized as this like womanizer. But yeah, he's oh, he was a womanizer, but he was also just a guy who really liked sex. Yeah. And Any it, type of sex. It didn't really matter what kind of sex he liked. And his biographer, Ian Kelly, said that um, Casanova was a man who, in sex, as in life, wanted to taste all the flavors on offer. Okay. <laughs> the guy was by. Okay, you have, we have uh, <clears throat> Walt Whitman as well. Um, I actually thought he was gay. Apparently, he is re- regarded as bi, and he had different relationships with men in secret. He kind of had a love-hate relationship with his bisexuality. Yeah. And some people actually say that he wrote The Leaves of Grass. He named The Leaves of yeah. Grass after um, a memory he had of lying in the grass with a male lover. Okay. Which is possible. Um, we have also, yeah, uh, Josephine Baker. Um, we, I mean, who was the uh, this, this spy who uh, actually, she, she's, I don't know how well known she is in the world. She's very, very well known in France, in France, of course. She was American. She was, first of all, uh, a singer, a performer, and an uh, um, Afro-American one who actually 
found a little bit more acceptance in France for once I have something nice to say about France <laughs> at the time and so she was a, a spy and and uh, working for the for the French military when they were still on the good side and um, we know she had an affair with uh, Frida Kahlo and other other same-sex affairs and she was married four times with men and we can only assume that she was actually enjoy those mar- enjoying those marriage as well I mean, there's also uh, Oscar Wilde. He was characterized as heterosexual up to a certain point in his life, according to his own grandson. So he had a very loving relationship with his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, they had children together, and he did struggle a lot with his attraction to, to men. Mm-hmm. Of course, his most famous affair is that with Lord Elfie, Alfred Douglas, yeah. who was a younger man, who was kind of his protege up to a certain point. They had a very tumultuous relationship that eventually... Uh, landed Oscar Wilde in prison, but he did, you know, he he, he loved uh, Douglas very much and he wrote De Profundis for him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, despite that, he was still a Victorian man who lived in a certain conservative time. Yeah, it's just interesting that both for Wilde and, and uh, Whitman, I was convinced they were gay. For me, those people, those guys were the yeah, example of the, of the... But again, it's that instance of, like, you do one gay thing in your life and suddenly you're labeled as gay forever. Yeah. Or, or you're, you know, Oscar Wilde is known to, to a lot of people as the most famous homosexual of his time. Yeah. Which he was so much more than that, <laughs> including a loving husband. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's, that's very interesting to see how, even when you try not to have any preconception, you realize that you have just heard stuff and say, okay, who is gay? And no question asked. We have also Greta Garbo, who uh, we we think we knew, we know, uh, uh, had a relationship with both men and women. Um, We have love letters that she wrote to Mimi Pollack. Um, There's this, oh, I didn't know that she had a remote affair affair with uh, Marlene Dutrini. Yeah, apparently. Interesting. Also, you know that Garbo managed to have an on-screen kiss with a woman. Yeah. In a 1933, 1933 movie about the life of, it's a biography of Queen Christina of Sweden, mm. which who herself wasn't exactly straight. <laughs> and she's, uh, she's in, in drag, I mean, she's dressed as a man uh, for the kiss. So that managed, I mean, that's one of the reasons probably why the uh, kiss escaped censorship. But yeah, this movie exists. Um, and also, let's talk about John Maynard Keynes, because I didn't know that. He was, he's a famous economist, lots of yeah. people, you know, they study their theories in, like, high school. And apparently he was very meticulous, so he kept records of almost every sexual dalliance he ever had with both men and women. A little bit weird, but okay. And so he primarily identified as gay and only had male lovers until he fell in love and married a ballerina Lydia Lopkova. Lepokova, whatever, in 1925. You should be able to pronounce that. Uh, I don't know. There's, there's so many <laughs> ways of pronouncing the inflections. And so his best man was Duncan Grant, who was a young painter and who was his foremost male lover. Okay. Uh, which sounds like a great bi-wedding. And then that guy, so Duncan... Bye and Polly. So Duncan Grant, who was his best man and also his lover, later became the long-term lover of Virginia Woolf's sister, Vanessa Bell. Okay, that's... So. Okay, so the the lover was also by. Yes, the lover was also by. Okay, and he was with Virginia Woolf's sister, and Virginia Woolf was by. It's just like a one great. Um, oh, uh, Alex Guinness, yeah. sir, Alex sir, Guinness. Alex Guinness. Yes. I threw um, that in for you. Yeah, yeah, Obi Wan Kenobi, of course, and uh, yeah, but he had apparently like some 
uh, internalized uh, self hatred. Yeah, that by bisexuality. Yeah, apparently when um, Sir Ian McKellen was starting to get into like the LGBT rights movement mm-hmm. and becoming like a forefront figure for mm-hmm. it, um, Sir Alice Guinness actually met with him and told him not to do it, uh, saying that you know homosexuality is filth and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. So he had a lot of internalized mm-hmm. homophobia, biphobia, whatever. So he he was really struggling with it throughout his entire life and was very depressed as yeah. a consequence. Yeah, it's. Uh... I mean, but I like the idea of that Obi-Wan is bi. I've never seen the movies, so... Okay, and, and in the prequel, he's... A lot of fair between him and um, Anakin would have made much more sense that the weird Anakin-Padme thing. Because there's no way Padme can fall for a guy like Anakin. I'm sorry, that doesn't make any sense. Is Anakin the one that whines all the time? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then becomes bad guy. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, before we start writing fan fiction, um, <laughs> this episode is probably already long enough. So, did we? I mean, we obviously didn't mention everyone. There's like tons of lists out there. Yeah, we. I mean, there's. Um, we had Billie Holiday. There's also um, Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, I mean, there's so many. Um, Freddie Mercury was by. There's a lot of people out there that we didn't mention. If there was someone particularly significant that you wanted to hear about, please do message us on Twitter or email us. And otherwise, have a fantastic bi visibility uh, year, year, decade. Every year should be bisexual, bi visibility, bi visibility century. How about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, and it repeats every century. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I agree. Okay. All right. Well, take care, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.